Hey everybody, welcome to Two at the First. It is October the 24th, 2023. I'm Ryan Balangi. It's good to have you here with us. We've got a couple things to talk about today. One is legitimate news that we didn't get to yesterday in the morning when we recorded this. And one is, frankly, more of an opinion type thing and something I just kind of want to get into. And it, it is news related, but it isn't necessarily news. We'll, we'll get to that anyway. So let's start with the, the thing that's actually news that we didn't get to yesterday. And that is this news from the DP World Tour that they've created a new membership category. And when I start with that, you might go, but there's actually some really interesting intrigue here. And the intrigue is that that new membership category that has been crafted by the DP World Tour is a membership category for the players who finish 126th through 200 in the final FedEx fall standings. So the first 75 players that do not wrap up a PGA Tour card will be offered the opportunity to take full DP World Tour status for next year. And that means they have an opportunity, effectively, to play the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour. And the reason I say that is because on the PGA Tour, historically, and it's presuming some no big change to this for next year, the players who don't get their PGA Tour card, really, the, it used to be the players who didn't qualify for the playoffs, the first like 25 who don't qualify for the playoffs, 126 through 150, they got their own category, their own standing group, and then they got mixed together with all the players who graduated from the Corn Ferry Tour and the Corn Ferry Tour Finals and some other players into this group that got in the reshuffles, which happened like every six to seven tournaments and your priority access is based on your season-to-date performance in the FedEx Cup. But those players who are 126 to 150 typically got plenty of starts. They got, they, they were, they're pretty good. They, they, you know, they could play on the PGA Tour. They maybe just had a bad year or a couple things didn't go their way. And they typically play 15 to 20 times. Well, under the new PGA Tour schedule, that might be more difficult because you're going to probably see, and the tour is expecting, I think, more players out of the top 125 to compete more often in the regular events. I don't necessarily agree with that, but it's going to be more difficult, especially for players outside that 150 mark, to get into PGA Tour events, regular events, because they've taken away the signature events. So the, the majors, the FedEx Cup playoffs, the invitationals, the other signature events, that, that's about 20 events. I mean, it's not exactly, but it comes to about 20 events. Well, that's a little less than half of the stated schedule for this year. Then you take the what are now seven FedEx fall events, and now you have about 21, 22 other events that these players can get into. And those are the regular events or the co-sanctioned or the alternate field events, opposite field events, that are part of the schedule. It creates very few opportunities, particularly for players outside that 150, to get a chance to play. So, as kind of a a make good, but also a, hey, we can make the DP World Tour a little bit better move, the DP World Tour board said, hey, well, we'll give all of those players full DP World Tour membership, create a special category for them, but the caveat is that For players who take up this full membership, they will only 
take five of those players from that category for any one given DP World Tour event. So you can't just have 20 P, you know guys who lost a PGA Tour card by points infiltrating the DP World Tour and taking away from their fields. So that's not the way they want it to work. They kind of want to view it as a chance to have some better players, at least perception-wise, compete on the DP World Tour week to week. And there's a carrot to that. One, it's a chance to play for probably a number of players who wouldn't have that opportunity or as many opportunities as they've had in previous years. And two, it offers a way, technically, back to the PGA Tour in terms of good membership. So we know now that the top 10 players in the Race to Dubai ranking at the end of the season will get a promotion offered to them to the PGA Tour. And of course, there's complaints about the DP World Tour being now seen as a feeder tour to the PGA Tour, when the reality is it's been a feeder tour for 25 years. But now they've created kind of a circle, a, 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 a route, a path to go full circle, where you lost your tour card or you didn't get it. You can go and try to battle it out on the PGA Tour in regular events, and maybe you earn enough FedEx Cup points to get in the top 70 through some good fortune. And if that doesn't work, Maybe you just decide to pursue membership on the DP World Tour and try to play as often as you can and try to get into the top 10 that tour, and then you get back to the PGA Tour. Now, obviously, in terms of the top 10 on the DP World Tour, they have affiliate members or the, the full-blooded European members, You know the, the people who are full members of that tour. It makes it really hard to get in that top 10. So... It would be a, a still a tremendous accomplishment to do that, but at least it gives you a chance to play somewhere for, for decent money and to continue to make a living, and you don't have to go to the Asian Tour and do it. So that's what I think the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour are hoping for here. The PGA Tour is not quoted in the press release about this decision, but clearly they're working together. PGA Tour owns 40% of DP or European Tour Productions. They're effectively going to own this whole thing eventually. So... The reality is that there's a very clear and clearly defined system on the PGA Tour now of haves, have slightly less, and have not much. And now that feeds into and out of the DP World Tour system, which then feeds into and out of, around the same time, the Coin Ferry Tour. And then all that, that's kind of the B tier, Coin Ferry Tour and DP World Tour. Then you have a C tier that's the PGA Tour Americas because now Canada and Latino America will combine into the same tour. And then you've got kind of your fourth tier, maybe third and a half tier between the Challenger PGA Tour of Australasia and the Sunshine Tour and the Korean Tour and the Japanese Tour. So there's more of a hierarchy defined perhaps than ever, but there are ways to move up and move down very easily, for better or for worse. Down to worse, up for better. But I do think this is a smart move from the DP World Tour. Might bring a couple more names into the fold, particularly with the way they've restructured their schedule. Now that they've done it in kind of series, they've tried to kind of group tournaments and clusters with bonus money for each of those five or six event periods, depending on how many Race to Dubai points you earn. That could be a carrot for some players who maybe, you know, particularly in like March, when there are a lot of 
these uh, these signature events kind of happening in pretty close uh, stretches of time. Same thing with April around the Masters. You've got a bunch of these events that some players are just not going to get into. That if you're from that category, that 126 and worse, and you can go and play on the DP World Tour, maybe earn some bonus money, and maybe earn a way into their playoffs where you can get a little bit more bonus money or at least some more guaranteed money. So that that I think makes a whole lot of sense, and it it is kind of a throwing a bone to the players who would have qualified for the old Corn Ferry Tour finals. That doesn't exist anymore either. Now you've got this FedEx fall, which I, I think is better. But 126 through 200 used to get into the Corn Ferry Tour finals. And you had a chance to earn your card through four events on your own money list with 50 other players. So similar but smaller period of time. So they t- kind of took that away and made it a seven-event slog. Well, if you don't do your job then then that's kind of another bone throw, thrown to you now that the Corn Ferry Tour Finals is just for the Corn Ferry Tour players, and they get 30 cards. So kind of some shuffling of uh, the deck a little bit, but I, I think net this is a good move for both tours, and hopefully it will lead to some more co-sanctioning. I think that there should be some of that. Uh, you have basically oppo field events on the PGA Tour plus the Scottish Open. I would love to see some more co-sanctioning with the PGA Tour, but the DP World Tour has responded to the new reality of the PGA Tour schedule by moving a lot of their best events to after the FedEx Cup season. So September and October, November is kind of their time to shine, bring back some of the players, particularly in non-Ryder Cup years, who are European-born, want to go play their National Open. I think about John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Victor Hovland, some of those affiliate members like Colin Morikawa, who will come over and play these some of these last couple of events now that they're all kind of scheduled together for next year in short order, and I think it'll be a net benefit to the tour. So, I like what they've done there. Yes, they are a feeder tour. Get over it. It's been that way for a long time. Just got to learn to live with it as, uh, what was it, Ric Flair's, or, uh, no, <laughs> it was uh, the Macho Man. Learn to love it, learn to respect it. Uh, kind of thing. So that is what it is, but it is an interesting news from yesterday we did not get to. We'll go and take a break. We'll be back with this uh, last segment of the show after this word from our sponsor. If you're like me, you've wanted to buy gold for years. Lots of commercials out there, but who can you really trust? I don't want a bad investment, but didn't want to miss the boat either. Sound familiar? Fortunately, I've got great news. If you have an IRA or 401k and want to buy physical gold, Eliminate fear and uncertainty from the process using the new Gold IRA Company Integrity Checklist. It helps you evaluate and choose the best gold IRA company. I use it personally to vet Augusta Precious Metals, and they are absolutely phenomenal. Use this checklist to choose the best gold IRA company. Text to get your free Gold IRA Company Integrity Checklist today. Text GOLF to 68592. Again, text G-O-L-F to 68592. That's golf to 68592 or go to AugustaPreciousMetals.com. All right, welcome back to the show this week or the today rather. It's, it's been a long week already and it's Tuesday. And we want to talk about, or I want to talk about a something that came out, I guess, yesterday. I think it comes out to everybody 
this week sometime, depending on if you get it in, you know, in the mail. But Golf Magazine put out their top 100 list of golf courses, you know, the best golf courses in the world, top 100. And that came out, uh, some folks have seen it because they either got a early copy in the mail or maybe they're part of the panel or they kind of leaked it. I don't know. I, I don't really have much of a relationship with the folks at 8 a.m. golf, friendly with some of the writers, but uh, obviously been critical of 8 a.m. golf over the years. I'm about to be again for a couple of reasons. And the list came out. And I, I look at those types of lists. I look at what Golf Week does. I think Golf Week does a tremendous job. Golf Digest does a good job. Golf Magazine's list, though, is kind of taken a turn in recent years. So Ram Morissette, who ran Golf Club Atlas, I think he still runs Golf Club Atlas, perhaps, has taken over this panel. And Rand is extremely influential in terms of the golf course architecture appreciation community. I would argue now that Andy Johnson is more influential. Uh, I don't I don't even know if that's a, an argument that has to be made. However, the what Rand has done in recent memory has been to take over the golf magazine panel and become their kind of architectural main squeeze. So he has a heavy, heavy influence on the ranking. And as he has taken that over, he has been quite methodical in trying to push down and depress the rankings of certain architects. And the ones, I mean, that come immediately to mind are the ones that kind of get crapped on by everybody right now, which are Reese Jones, uh, maybe Robert Trent Jones Jr. to a degree, I think Kyle Phillips to a degree, and then you, uh, certainly Jack Nicholas to a, a substantial degree. Uh, then you've got, I mean, any Arnold Palmer stuff is is basically non-present. Pete Dye's been punished quite severely in Rand's ranking, and the architects he has propped up most are Tom Doak and Cor Crenshaw. And Corn Crenshaw are great. They're they're fantastic. Tom Doak is wonderful. Uh, they 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 do great work, and they are some of the most beloved architects in the business right now. Although I would tell you, I think Gil Hance gets just as much work. And I I would argue, based on what Rand has done, he doesn't particularly like Gil Hance's work, and so he has this heavy hand on the scale in terms of how he does the ranking. So I wanted to share. Some of the things I saw with you, not only is a kind of look at how Rand sees golf course architecture, but through the lens of a cynic like myself who has seen 8am golf do a lot of self-dealing in their in their business, but also in their editorial work and how their business arrangements affect their editorial in a way that I think is inappropriate. So let me take you through the top of the list, and then we'll get into some of the unfortunate circumstances around other parts of the list. All right, so in the top 10, I think there's probably not a lot of agreement in maybe the order, but the the courses picked are probably fairly agreed upon. Starting in Pine Valley, Cypress Point, the old course, Shinnecock, National Golf Links, Royal County Down. Royal Melbourne's West Course, Oakmont, Augusta National somehow ninth, and then Royal Doorknock. 
I, I think you would see a lot of a lot of agreement there. I, I don't think you would be surprised by that. But Rand has gone out of his way to punish Augusta National uh, for whatever reason. He is not a huge fan of Augusta National, even though it is probably one of the best designs in the world. But that's how he views it. And then after that, I think there's some more agreement. You've got Sand Hills and Muirfield. They both made way for Royal Doorknock. Sure. Marion East, Pebble Beach, Fishers Island, Royal Port Rush, which was knocked down one, and then Chicago Golf Club moved up a couple. Now, all of this stuff is, of course, political in nature, right? Like, once you get past the most obvious choices, it's maybe a little bit of knick-knack, maybe a little bit of tit-for-tat, maybe a little bit of groupthink in all of this. But I don't think there's a whole lot of disagreement there. Pinehurst number two somehow moved down four spots, while Terry Eady moved up three, Los Angeles Country Club North moved up one uh, from 20 to 19, Sunningdale moved up five. I mean, there's some radical moves in this list. Hirono moved up, even though uh, I think Hirono deserves better attention than it got. C.H. Uh, Allison did an incredible job there. But to move up five, North Barrick moves up five. Like, all of a sudden, that's five spots better over the course of the year. The place didn't really change. Oakland Hills is up four, so I think that would make an argument for a like of Gil Hance's work because the work was done recently. Unfortunately, the clubhouse burnt down. Uh, they're in the process of starting that rebuild. Crystal Downs somehow moves down five spots to 34th. The McKenzie and Maxwell courses. Jim, it's one of the one of the ones I've played on this list. Played several. But somehow it's significantly worse than Pack Dunes, which fell down four spots itself. I I don't understand that whatsoever. Um, but Maybe taking issue with those, that's a little bit of just kind of cherry-picking, right? St. Patrick's Links, Rosa Pena moved up six spots. Why? Tom Doak, of course. Tom Doak moved up. Tom Doak's Bally Neal moved up three. Of course that moved up. Cabot Cliffs got knocked down. I, I think that is kind of fair. It's not... I think people don't like it as much now that it's been around for a while. I think there probably will be some changes to it, ultimately... But you've got New South Wales in Australia. One of the best clubs in the world. Somehow moves down 17 spots. That makes absolutely no sense. you got Baltus Raw Lower, which I thought Gil Hans did an excellent job in making a better and more interesting golf course. Moving down 10. They're just trying to punish that one. The Lido moves up debuts at 68. Another Tom Doak. Of course it's a Tom Doak. It's going to draw a lot of attention. It's a good golf course. To debut at 68, though, is kind of preposterous, in my view. It'll get better with time, but that seems a little outrageous. You had another Doke move up 11 spots, Rock Creek Cattle Company in Montana. You can kind of see where Rand Morissette cares about architecture. A golf course that isn't even open yet. Point Hardy Golf Club, which is... Uh, in St. Lucia, which is kind of part of the Cabot family. That debuts at number 76 in the world. You have to be kidding me. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. It is very apparent because there's a business relationship there between Rand Morissette and the Cabot folks, and this is part of the, the Cabot family, that why would you debut a golf course that doesn't even exist yet, isn't even open, at that number. I, I find that 
absolutely absurd. Uh, another core Crenshaw, Shank and Bay suddenly opened 11 years ago is now 95th in the world. Does not really make any sense whatsoever. Uh, I, I just, I don't, I don't get it and I'm not going to get it. So things like that happen in this lineup. Laborde is the other one I really want to point out here. Moved up 14 spots from 97. It shouldn't be on the list. It absolutely should not be on the list. But one of the entanglements that they don't tell you about with 8AM Golf is that 8AM Golf has a business relationship with Laborde. They have or had a golf tournament there and have golf tournaments there. So it's a business arrangement. So they can get away with putting it on there and bumping it up. You know, you bump it, you get it on the list, and then all of a sudden, oh, now you're 83 in the world. It's not the 83rd best golf course in the world. You have to be kidding me. There's no way that that's true. Absolutely not. It's ridiculous. Then I thought the move down of a Hoopy Match Club down eight spots is also insane. Uh, uh, there's kind of this backlash against the exclusivity of it. But in terms of the experience and in terms of the golf course, everything I understand about it, it is tremendous and incredible. So part of this is trying to make lists, right? Part of it's trying to get people to care. But you moved down David McClay Kid, 14 spots from Bandon Dunes, an iconic course, one of the most important in the history of modern golf. Uh, and you're just going to dump it down because you don't really care for David McClay Kid's work because he does struggle at times in terms of difficulty and trying to make something that works great for a, a worse player, but also make it difficult for a top player. But Bandon Dunes is really freaking good. Like, what are we doing here? But I wanted to point out some of the issues with this list. And really, this comes up in any list. But this, in my view, is the worst of the rankings. And I don't even know that it's all that close. Golf Week does a very good job. Digest does a good job. This, I I can't endorse. I, I'm just not, not a fan. But wanted to point some of that out to you because it, it, I think it helps to know as a consumer maybe why some thumbs were on the scale the way that they were and some of the clear biases that exist in it. And then you can assess for yourself. I mean, these things don't matter, but you sell a lot of magazines and get a lot of clicks based on these types of rankings. And you kind of have to know why some of those choices are made. All right, that's going to do it for us today on the show. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. We'll be back with another show tomorrow. We'll go over some other stuff. And I'm sure someone will say something ridiculous or we'll have a little bit something to laugh about or we'll have some golf to talk about. Happy to talk to you. Otherwise, Ryan at thegolfnewsnet.com via email. Ryan Ballingy is the handle on Twitter or X, threads or Instagram. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening to Two Off the First.